You are listening to The Court Leader's Advantage, a podcast series for court professionals and by court professionals. Brought to you by thecourtleader.net in cooperation with NACOM, the National Association for Court Management. As courts are reopening, many have already held their first trials. Others are planning for trials to start in the next month or two. Whether they're conducted in courtroom or via video conference calls, trials are going to look different for some time into the future. What will change for those coming into the courthouse? What will a trial on a video conference call look like? To help manage this process, the federal judiciary just released a report on June 4th titled, Conducting Jury Trials and Convening Grand Juries During the Pandemic. Some of the questions in this episode are derived from that report. I'm Pete Kiefer, and welcome to the Court Leaders Advantage podcast series. Our focus continues to be on how courts are coping with the coronavirus crisis. Today we have with us Zanelle Brown, Court Administrator for the Third Circuit Court in Detroit, Michigan. Mark Weinberg, Court Administrator for the Seventh Judicial Circuit in Daytona Beach, Florida. Angie Van Skoik, Court Administrator with the Municipal Court in Breckenridge, Colorado. Liz Rambo, Trial Court Administrator for the Lane County Circuit Court in Eugene, Oregon. And Rick Pierce, with the Pennsylvania Administrative Office of the Courts. I appreciate all of you joining on today's podcast. Liz, the Lane County Circuit Court recently held two trials. Can you tell us about the Court's experience with those trials? This is a great topic to be talking about right now as states and courts are starting to open up a little more. In Oregon, we are conducting jury trials where they are statutorily and constitutionally required. We have certain criminal cases that are required to have a jury trial within a certain time frame. And so I want to make sure everyone knows that we're not doing them when they're not required. We're only doing those that are required. So just generally, the experience has been very good. We were lucky in Lane County, where I work, to not be the first in Oregon to have one of these statutorily required trials come up on the docket. And so we learned so much from other courts in Oregon that went before us. And what we learned mostly is that the key is space for conducting jury trials during the pandemic because with a six-foot bubble around every juror, space becomes just critical in your jury assembly room, in the courtroom, in jury deliberation rooms, and everywhere else. We don't have any place large enough in our courthouse to do a jury trial in just one courtroom. So our learning was that we have to use three courtrooms for every jury trial. The one courtroom is for the jury and the parties and the judge once the jury is seated. A second courtroom is used for jury deliberation. And as a practical matter, that courtroom has to have easy and secure access to restrooms. So that's another challenge. And a third courtroom is used for a closed circuit so that the public, anyone in the public who wants to view that proceeding can go into a third courtroom and see the closed circuit of the trial. What we're hearing back from jurors is that the measures that we're taking, both with social distancing and with the availability of hand sanitizer and with some comfort items that we've bought for jurors, have led the jurors to feel like 
they are being well taken care of and that they are safe and that we're taking every precaution that we can uh, to keep them safe when they serve on jury duty. So I think those trials have gone very well. Angie, the Breckenridge Municipal Court just held its first court hearings after several months. Can you tell me how it went and what precautions you and the city took to protect folks? Well, it went well, but we only had three out of the 24 defendants actually show up, which helped uh, tremendously. I had ended up getting extra security because town halls only open by appointment only, so the front doors are locked all day. So we needed somebody to be able to let people in to sign the advisement. And I had gotten golf pencils for them to be able to do that. So I could either let them keep those or throw them away after they were used. We ended up having the security guy that brought people in through the front would escort them down to chambers and then had everything spaced out for the seating down there for them. And then the judge would call them up one at a time to take care of everything. And with, you know, only three people there, it went quite smoothly. I did have masks available for defendants if they didn't happen to have their own. I ended up wearing gloves during the entire time. We had sprayed everything, like all surfaces down. We had the markings on the floor just so people could maintain the six foot spacing. Put the prosecutor in a conference room instead of the office so he could have enough space because in his office it would have been like two feet instead of six feet. Had that all sanitized, had the hand sanitizer out for everyone. I blocked off certain areas, some stairwells, because there was no reason for defendants to go down that way. So made that kind of a staff-only access area. And then once everything was done, went through and sprayed everything down again. And after we were finished with court in the afternoon, our public works guys came to start measuring the dais because they're going to be putting up plexiglass cubes for the town council. So once we have court again, the the judge will be in his own little protected box. But that means that now I have to figure something else out for microphones for defendants because we had opted to kind of turn the council microphones towards the defendants to pick them up that way instead of having a microphone down there for everybody to talk into. So I'm going to have to find like a little disposable microphone cover to have for our next court session so we can have that out and be able to hear the defendants when for their recording. But otherwise than that, everything went without a hitch. And I think I'll be able to sleep before the next court date because I did not sleep at all last Tuesday night (laughs) trying to figure out what I was going to be doing. Did the court take any action on those defendants who did not show up? The judge ended up just writing them all for letters for compliance to have a new court date. He didn't realize that I had sent letters to everybody uh, reminding them that their court date had been continued. Um, I always call everybody as well to remind them when their court dates are, but he likes to see the, the physical representation of that. And since he didn't see a letter or anything in their file, he didn't think I had done that. And I was like, That's, I didn't have anything better to do. So That's what I've been doing. So everybody did know that they had a court date, but they all got a little reprieve until the end of July for the court dates for missing this particular time. Zanel, you mentioned that Michigan is looking into piloting video conferencing trials. How is that work progressing? Our judges from the criminal division have participated. We've also had representation from the civil division participate on the statewide virtual trial pilot program. And I've had an opportunity to talk to the judge from the civil side, 
And she agrees that the technology is there. Where our court is situated, however, we know that a lot of the citizens don't have access to the technology. So that'll be one of the issues that we'll have to figure out. Also from the criminal side, I don't think there's the same comfort level as conducting that type of trial in a remote atmosphere. So it may end up be being where it's a combined, maybe voir dire is virtual, then once the jury selected, they actually come in. And then we have to deal with when they come in, some of the issues like Liz pointed out, okay, where do you put them so that you're socially distancing the six feet out? We're thinking also that our jurors will need their personal PPE kits and the court should provide those up on entering. Oftentimes with our security measures and then the juror check-in process, there's a lot of people-to-people -people contact. So now we have to fashion that where we're doing the social distancing. Definitely we'll have to think about staggered hearings because of where we're located. Parking for jurors will be a concern. Finding places where there's lunch options available or what does the jury deliberation room look like to accommodate that type of thing. So we have the end of the pilot waiting for the recommendations for that huge group and then we'll convene a smaller group of our own judges and administrators and our jury services director and then have some conversations. What does this really look like for Wayne County Third Circuit Court, which sits in the heart of the city of Detroit? So we're working and I don't have the answers yet, but I'm staying up at late at night. <laughs> Mark, Florida is also working on a pilot program for trials. Can you tell us about that program? The Florida Supreme Court created the Remote Civil Jury Trial Pilot Program. And on June 3rd, five sites were selected. Those five sites were selected based on the different approaches, ranging from fully remote operations to combinations of remote and in-person activities. Among the other criteria for selection of the sites were geographic diversity, differing levels of local infection concentrations, and technology capacity within the court. The five sites selected include the Fourth Judicial Circuit, which is the Jacksonville area, the Seventh Judicial Circuit, which is my court, the Ninth Judicial Circuit, which is the Orlando area, 11th Judicial Circuit, which is Miami-Dade, and the 20th Judicial Circuit, which is the circuit in which uh, Fort Myers is located in the southwestern portion of the state. So those sites were selected on June 3rd, and each of us have until October 2nd to present our findings. Rick, what's the situation with the Pennsylvania courts? In Pennsylvania, we are a lot of our courts and actually one of our judges actually reached out to one of the Oregon's judges. I don't know if Liz, if that was in one of your jurisdictions, but he received a significant guidance, very helpful tips on how to stagger jurors and what PPE to look at and, and dealing with a, a jury trial in the courtroom. And with Sunel, we are also looking at in the piloting video conferencing trials, uh, it's something that our task force uh, made up of about 10 judges across the Commonwealth have moved into. They haven't released a report yet, so we don't know exactly what the, what the findings will be. But I'll try and include everyone in on a, on a 
podcast down the road. So we are very interested in what the experiences are that were particularly happening in Florida and Michigan as, as well as in Oregon. As I mentioned, the federal judiciary has issued a report with several suggestions for restarting trials. Let me ask you about your court's level of interest in a few of these suggestions. Rick, the report suggested sending out supplemental jury questionnaires dealing with just the coronavirus. Is this an option the courts in Pennsylvania have considered? We have a mandated juror information questionnaire for all criminal cases, and that can't be modified. That's set by rule. But I'm assuming you're referencing a supplemental qualification questionnaire, and many of the court administrators have performed an either informal poll through questions posed by prospective jurors. A lot of this just to consider the public safety bulletins and the court actions, and they put that information in the summons. So in some respects, yes, that has taken place uh, in some jurisdictions of providing a supplemental might be more informal than something formally uh, that's posed to the jurors. And they have been very liberal, as we've stated in the past on other podcasts about excusals or at least deferments for jurors that because of their unease and anxiety for attending with the COVID-19 out there. But surprisingly, maybe it's because it's our rural jurisdictions that are ones that are reporting this. And surprisingly, uh, we have not had a significant increase in the number of requests for excusal or postponement or deferment of jury service. And, you know, like I said, I think those are in the jurisdictions perhaps where COVID-19 wasn't as prevalent. And most of the courts that have begun the process of jury trials in Pennsylvania are in the rural courts. The cases that you refer to, unfortunately, those trials, well, fortunately, I guess, they did reach a resolution prior to trial. The jury selection process was very similar to what was mentioned by Liz in the sense that we had three courtrooms set up so that the attorneys, the litigants, and as many jurors as they could place for that voir dire were placed in that particular courtroom. And then the other two courtrooms were used as kind of an overflow courtroom where closed circuit television or video conferencing was uh, tapped into. Now, like I said, those cases ended up getting a resolution, so it never came into play. But it is very heartening to hear of how the courts are responding to this challenge, meeting the social distancing requirements. One court has actually resorted to using a high school auditorium for jury selections, and uh, they have not had received any kind of negative feedback, only a positive feedback from prospective jurors. Mark, are the Florida pilot courts considering supplemental questionnaires? Uh, they are, but I, I think it depends on what, what's included in the supplement, I think, will depend on what approach the site has taken. As I mentioned, some may have jurors physically appearing in the courthouse for purpose of selection. Others may be opting for an entirely remote process. So what's contained in the supplement, I think, will differ depending upon the jurisdiction. Another suggestion was creating a video featuring a prominent individual, maybe the state's chief justice, describing what the courts are doing to keep jurors safe. The video could be shown to jurors who are waiting in the jury assembly room 
or even on the local government access channel. Rick, have the Pennsylvania courts discussed this? Yes, we have. Uh, we, we actually have one court in particular, Beaver County, which is located about 30 miles northwest of Pittsburgh. They actually produced a video. You could say, well, it's more of a homemade video, but it was, it was actually very well done. And they, have, they used court staff to do that along with a trial judge. And the sheriff actually participated as well. And they placed that video on the court's YouTube channel. And we're hopeful that they'll include a link to that YouTube channel on their summons so that people know where to go look for it. The video is about five minutes in length. It spells out how the courts will protect them uh, from seating in the assembly room and in a courtroom. So they actually show individuals staggered across the courtrooms where they will sit. They'll show the plexiglass separation, the barrier separation, whether it's in the jury box or in the witness box, and uh, where individuals will actually be seated during the process. They actually take you through the transportation between the rooms, maybe it's between the courtroom and the assembly room, or other areas that the jurors may need to confess. And that will be, uh, so that's shown in the video. And then they'll actually talk about the roles of the court personnel and what will be involved in providing, whether it's the sanitation or the transportation, the escorting of individuals between floors, if that's necessary, as well as between rooms. So in five minutes, they accomplished an awful lot. Zanel, how about in Michigan? So we have this conversation going on right now. I'm talking to our chief judge. I think our Supreme Court justice, our chief justice would be a great person to have in the video. But I also think because our court is like the largest, people will be looking for someone who's familiar to them to be in that video and to talk about our court specifically. So even if there is a statewide one, we need something that looks at what our local court is going through and how we're addressing people's concerns. We will then put whatever we create on our website. Definitely, if there's a video, like Rick was saying, we want to link to it on the summons so people can see it. We also want to make sure our jury staff is available to take more phone calls, as I anticipate that'll probably be one of the ways that potential jurors actually call us to have those questions or to advise why they can't come in and to seek adjournments that way. So yes, I think it's a very good idea and it will be incorporated in some fashion as we bring jurors back. Liz, what about in Oregon? I completely agree with what Zanel just said. I think that for our court here in Eugene, it would be critical to have someone like our presiding judge who is sort of known in the community and can point out the specific issues and the specific things that Lane County Circuit Court is doing to keep people safe. Because so much of what we're doing is driven based on the spaces available to us. That's going to be different in every judicial district. I am not aware of whether or not our Chief Justice is doing something at the statewide level, but I completely agree with Zanel that it would have to be something that we would do locally as well. Now, we've talked about masks on previous episodes, but I wanted to explore this topic in a little more depth. Now, I think most of you have said that your courts would offer masks, but not require them to be worn. After NBC News personality Joseph Fair thought he contracted the virus on a plane, more people are now wearing goggles when they fly. Mark, has your court discussed offering goggles and gloves? 
I can't speak to the uh, pilots because, like I said, most of that is remote and it really wouldn't apply in this instance. But as a general rule, in terms of in-person proceedings, as we've mentioned previously, we are offering masks to those who appear without them. Um, we are, in fact, encouraging them to bring their own in the event they don't, it'll be provided. We do have gloves available for those specific proceedings that require someone to physically touch a piece of evidence, let's say. The, the issue of goggles is new to me, and that is not one that my court has discussed. I'm not aware of anybody else encountering that issue. Angie, any discussion at Breckenridge about offering goggles and gloves? As similar to what Mark said, you know, we have face masks available for those that uh, appear without them. Uh, we do not have uh, goggles or face shields available for anybody. We have gloves available mainly for staff. We don't really have anything that people would need them for as defendants, but if they did want some, uh, we would have some available for them, but it's not something that we're necessarily offering. May I add something to that uh, question about goggles? Well, maybe it's kind of a bad pun, but I do wonder about the optics of jurors wearing goggles while seated in jury. I mean, masks at this point are sort of CDC recommended, and so there is some sort of cover for, although it's covering your face, for wearing a mask as sort of an approved a way to prevent yourself from transmitting the virus to others. Goggles aren't at that level yet nationally. And so I think our court, at least, would be slow to adopt something until it's recommended. Cleaning staffs must be running ragged by now with all the extra disinfecting they must be doing. Angie, what's the new routine in Breckenridge? Well, we have one cleaning staff that comes in and, you know, vacuums and cleans the restrooms and stuff like that. But for disinfecting for court and everything, that was all me going around with a spray bottle and paper towels to wipe down surfaces. And then unfortunately, because there is only myself during court, I didn't really have an opportunity to sanitize between defendants being at the front window. So it was kind of a, once everything was done, I went through and sprayed everything down again. So hopefully that will be sufficient for us. You know, I was trying to get people to use hand sanitizer and such when they came to the the front window uh, to kind of help with that. But, you know, we will see. There's only so much one person can do. (laughs) Zanel, what about in your court? Our cleaning staffs are different in the various buildings. Some of them we have to have regular communications with to ensure that the cleaning is occurring as we expect it. For the deep cleaning, we bring in an outside vendor, so that's a little different uh, relationship there. But we're keeping abreast of it. But remember, we don't have all the public in. The jurors are not back. Some of our judges are still remote. So we're handling it, but we will have to step up our game as we get closer to resuming full services. Another interesting suggestion was for courts to provide individual plastic bags for jurors to secure their notepads, pencils, water bottles, and personal items. Rick, have the Pennsylvania courts considered this as an option? 
must say that is an interesting suggestion. And yes, we actually do have courts that are providing things like a Ziploc bag for such items. It's usually distributed by the sheriff's office or their sheriff's department officials. Maybe it's a deputy of some sort at the entrance to the court facility. So it is taking place. Mark, how about in Florida? There are jurisdictions in Florida that I think are doing that, much like Rick said, that's uh, normally being done at the front entrances in in those locations that are providing it, and they're given to individuals upon entry to the facilities. Another suggestion that was unusual but worth considering was video conferencing the voir dire. Jurors would be questioned from their homes and only be required to come to the courthouse when the 12 plus the alternates have been selected. Mark, has this been discussed as a possibility in Florida? I'm unaware of that being talked about aside from the previously mentioned pilots. I think in at least one of the pilot locations, the idea was to do some portion of the trial by uh, remote means and other portions of the trial in person. And again, the, the results of those pilots are due in October, and we'll, we'll see what comes of those. Liz, what about in Oregon? Like uh, Mark, I'm not aware of it being discussed at the statewide level in Oregon. And like I mentioned, we're only doing criminal jury trials that have bumped up against the speedy trial requirements. And it seems to me that for now, based on the volume, which for our court is about one a week of those trials, that we wouldn't change the system that we're using and go to remote unless it became obvious that we were going to have to do that either because we had more jury trials. For example, if we had to add in some civil jury trials or other criminal jury trials, we might have to change the way we're doing voir dire just because our building wouldn't accommodate more than one voir dire at a time. Zanel, how about in your court? I do expect that that will be part of the conversation when we pull our group together with the judges and the administrators. I can foresee it being a a huge issue on the criminal side. And we we have to figure that out regarding the spacing. We have a courthouse that has 24 criminal judges. So there's usually four judges per floor. And to figure out how can you hold the necessary number of trials and get people where they need to be and have them spaced out accordingly is going to be a challenge. But I don't think that our criminal division is going to say, okay, let's try the video conferencing for the voir dire. And I I may be surprised, but I do not think that that's going to happen. And I believe that it'll probably be opposition if it does from the defense counsel, but we'll see. My thanks to Liz, Rick, Mark, Zanel, and Angie today for sharing how their courts are dealing with trials and hearings, as well as their plans for the future. As always, Thanks again to you court professionals out there listening and keeping our courts working. You are our true heroes. The report, Conducting Jury Trials and Convening Grand Juries During the Pandemic, is available on the CLA podcast landing page under Additional Resources. Join us next Thursday, June 25th, as we continue our conversation with our guests. Remember, if you have a question about how the courts are coping with the coronavirus, email us at CLA podcast, that's all one word, at nakamnet.org. We'll try to get your question on a future episode. This has been the Court Leaders Advantage podcast series. I'm Pete Kiefer, and thanks for listening. 
Thanks for joining us today. The Court Leader's Advantage is a regular podcast on courts and court administration. Today's episode will be available on our website, on Facebook, on iTunes, and on Twitter. If you have questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, email us. Our address is podcast. that's all one word, at nakamnet.org. I'm Pete Kiefer, and on behalf of our guests, the Court Leader website, and the National Association for Court Management, have a great day. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this episode are solely those of the individual presenters. They do not necessarily represent the position of the National Association for Court Management. Thank you.